0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the December 21st edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Scarnan, Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that a trucker was not an independent contractor, despite the contract language he signed. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Lexington Insurance versus W.C.A.B. Sheikh Zahid Ali was injured in 2006 after having driven a tractor-trailer rig filled with latex paint from Hayward, California to Spokane, Washington. While unloading the trailer, a pressurized cap came off, causing serious injury. The truck was owned by Ali's Trucking, and the trailer was owned by Trimac, who was insured by Lexington Insurance Company. The significant issue in the case was the claim of an employment relationship with Trimac. Trimac is a multinational corporation that specializes in transporting liquid latex-based products from producer to buyer. Trimac used approximately four tractors it owned, driven by about six employee drivers, and about 14 tractors leased to it by about 32 purported independent contractors. One such owner-operator was Ali's Trucking, a business owned by Intaz Ali. Intaz owned two tractors he had purchased from Trimac. He leased the tractors back to Trimac for its business, sometimes driving one himself and using other drivers. Ali's Trucking had no business premises apart from Trimac's Hayward location, where Ali's Trucking kept its tractors. Ali's Trucking entered into a contract with Trimac entitled Lease Agreement Independent Contractor, which designates Trimac as Carrier and Elise Trucking as an Independent Contractor. However, the relationships among Trimac, Ali's Trucking, and Sheik operated quite differently in practice from the way their relationships were outlined in these contracts. Most significantly was the exercise of control over the drivers, For example, the lease agreement purported to place responsibility on the independent contractor for selecting, hiring, firing, supervising, training, setting wages, and working conditions for their drivers. But the way in which the operation actually worked reflects substantial TRIMAC involvement. At the conclusion of a hearing on the employment issue, It was found that the legal relationship between Sheikh Ali, Ali's trucking, and TRIMAC was one of joint employment. Both employers had the right to direct and control Sheikh Ali's activities while he was at work on the joint enterprise of transporting materials for TRIMAC and Ali's trucking. And that TRIMAC not only had the right to control it, affirmatively exercised that control. Trimac appealed this finding, and the WCAB and the Court of Appeal affirmed in the unpublished case. The seminal case of Borrello and Sons Incorporated versus DIR acknowledged that the right to control work details is the primary consideration in employment cases. Ultimately, ultimately Lexington's arguments failed because it has fallen short of demonstrating that the decision is unsupported by substantial evidence, or that as a matter of law, all commercial truck drivers whom a transportation company designates as independent contractors are necessarily so. And now our crime report. Interpreters arrested in a $24.6 million fraud case. The detectives arrested nine individuals involved in a complex scheme, allegedly targeting more than 230 workers' compensation insurers and self-insured employers. 32-year-old siblings Francisco Javier Gomez Jr. and 38-year-old Angela Riemann were the owners of G&G Interpreting Services. They allegedly fraudulently billed more than $24.6 million for interpreting services for injured workers with Latino surnames. g Interpreting Services changed their company name to American Liberty Interpreting in 2012. The company is family-owned and operated, and had an operation across the Los Angeles Basin and Southern California, for injured workers receiving health care services through the workers' compensation system. Billing occurred in San Diego, Riverside, San Bernardino, Orange, Los Angeles, Ventura, and Santa Barbara counties. According to detectives, over a four-year period, g g Interpreting allegedly billed for translation services provided to clinics where the majority of the clinic staff spoke Spanish and there was no need for translation services. In other cases, the company billed for services to clinics where 13 treating physicians spoke fluent Spanish and again there was no need for translation. Over 84,000 interpreting service events exceeded 12 hours in a day, more hours than the clinics were actually open. Detectives also discovered that G&G Interpreting billed insurers more than $422,000 for the services of an interpreter who was actually in state prison during the time the company claimed she was providing interpreting services. In fact, she is still in state prison. Officials carried out a morning raid on a North Hollywood home, which is one of the nine sites where arrests were made. This investigation is ongoing. An Ontario man was sentenced to three years probation and 120 days in jail for committing workers' compensation insurance fraud and stealing wages from his workers. 36-year-old Miguel Contreras the former owner of Ontario-based National Drywall, was also ordered to pay his insurance carrier more than a quarter million dollars in underpaid workers' compensation premiums. The conviction stems from a 2011 project in which Contreras was awarded the contract to install drywall at the Joe Baca Middle School in Colton. Because this was a public works project, Contreras was required to pay his employees the current prevailing wage. However, he employed two schemes to avoid this obligation. One method made some of his workers kick back a portion of their pay on a weekly basis in order to keep their jobs. The other made some workers alter their time cards to falsely indicate that their primary job duties, which were paid at a much lower prevailing wage, This was known as theft of wages. National Drywall also submitted false payroll reports to its workers' compensation insurance carrier, ICW Group, which resulted in a reduction of its premium. This October, Contreras entered pleas to workers' compensation insurance fraud and theft of prevailing wages and admitted his conduct was subject to California's white-collar crime enhancement. This case is part of California's underground economy problem. An underground economy is one that includes activities that businesses try to hide from government licensing, regulatory, tax, and law enforcement agencies, and is subsidized by businesses that otherwise would be legal operators, but who are breaking the law to gain a leg up on their competition. The Little Hoover Commission believes California's underground economy is costing the state upwards of $10 billion in annual tax revenue. The former owner, operator, and managers of a Southern California ambulance company were sentenced to prison for their role in a fraud scheme that resulted in more than $1.5 million in fraudulent claims. Following a 10-day jury trial this August, a Los Angeles federal jury convicted 47-year-old Yaroslav Proshak of Valley Village, California, 58-year-old Amelia Zarevev of Van Nuys, and 37-year-old Sharetta Michelle Wallace of Inglewood, California. The defendants worked for ProMed Medical Transportation, an ambulance transportation company in the Los Angeles area that provided non-emergency services to Medicare beneficiaries, many of whom were dialysis patients. The evidence at trial showed that the defendants conspired to bill Medicare for ambulance transportation services for individuals that did not need such services. They also instructed ProMed EMTs to conceal the patient's true medical conditions by altering paperwork and creating fraudulent documents to justify the services. ProMed submitted at least $1.5 million in false and fraudulent claims to Medicare for medically unnecessary transportation services. Yaroslav Proshak was sentenced to serve 108 months in prison and Amelia Zarev and Charita Michelle Wallace were sentenced to serve 36 months and 24 months in prison, respectively. Zarev and Wallace are also ordered to pay restitution jointly and severally with ProShock in the amount of more than $800,000. This case was brought as part of the Medicare Fraud Task Force. And in regulatory news, DIR has released the 2015 Legislative Digest with an overview of new laws. The Department of Industrial Relations released its 2015 Legislative Digest, which summarizes the new laws and vetoed bills relevant to workers' comp. Most of the bills are slated to take effect on January 1. SB 358 mandates that women be paid equally for work that is substantially similar to the work of their male colleagues. It also prohibits discrimination or retaliation of employees who discuss their wages and those of their male colleagues. SB 579 gives workers more flexibility to take job-protected leave to address childcare issues, a school emergency, or to enroll or re-enroll a child in school. AB 970 authorizes the Labor Commissioner's Office to issue citations for violations of local minimum wage laws and failure to reimburse employees for unpaid business expenses. AB 1124 requires the DWC to establish a prescription drug formulary for the California Workers' Compensation System. And AB 1513 clarifies pay requirements for peace rate workers, mandated rest and recovery breaks, and other non-productive time. The DWC has added a new form to give users of the JET file system greater flexibility. JET file is an electronic filing method that transmits DWC forms and attachments using secure State of California servers. While JET file allows users to bypass paper handling processes in DWC district offices, it has been limited to the six most commonly filed forms since its debut in 2011. The new unstructured form adds the ability to file petitions, requests, answers, and other frequently filed court documents. The complete list is on the JET file unstructured form document titles list on the DWC's website. The DWC has tested and certified the new unstructured form for participating JET file vendors. The DWC has also updated the Declaration of Readiness for Expedited Hearing Form to capture the stated reasons for the requested trial. Electronic filing is the fastest way to get documents into EAMS, the DWC's electronic case management system for the workers' compensation courts. In addition to JETFile, e-forms are also available. Information on both methods is posted on the DWC's website. CalOSHA announced that the owner and operator of California's Great America Theme Park in Santa Clara was at fault for a roller coaster accident that critically injured a ride mechanic last June. 66-year-old Robert Hooks suffered serious injuries when he was struck by the flight deck ride while retrieving a cell phone in a restricted area. The amusement park owner-operator, Cedar Fair Southwest, failed to have safety protocols to ensure that the roller coaster was shut down prior to retrieving lost articles, and also failed to effectively train workers. Employers are required to maintain a comprehensive injury and illness prevention program that addresses all safety hazards, Cal-OSHA issued citations with penalties totaling more than $70,000 for eight workplace safety violations, including five serious in nature. Two of them were directly related to this accident. A serious violation is cited when there is a realistic possibility that death or serious harm could result from the actual hazardous condition. A willful violation is cited when the employer is aware of the law and violates it nevertheless, or when the employer is aware of the hazardous condition and takes no reasonable steps to address it. The park was issued six violations in the past 10 years, one of which was serious. The company says it intends to appeal each of the citations. And in medical news... Workers' compensation claims involving prescription painkillers are typically four times more costly than other claims. And the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recently referred to opioid abuse, including prescription painkillers, as a growing epidemic that is gripping our country. And increasingly, that grip includes the American workplace. A new survey, the first of its kind, conducted by the National Safety Council, along with Indiana's Attorney General, concluded that 80% of Indiana's employers have been impacted by prescription drug misuse and abuse by employees. And the President and CEO of the Safety Council said that these issues are not just limited to Indiana. Indiana. The council would expect very similar results in many states. Millions of Americans are addicted to opioids, and the rate of death from addiction has tripled since 2010. The most recent estimates suggest that the economic annual burden is upwards of $60 billion, with nearly half of that attributable to workplace costs such as productivity loss. If an employee is taking a prescription painkiller, Their costs on workers' comp goes up four times, and 25% of all prescription costs in workers' comp are opioid painkillers. According to the survey, only about half of employers have a written policy on using prescription drugs, and nearly two-thirds believe prescription pills like Vicodin and Percocet cause more problems than illegal drugs. The Safety Council recommends that employers expand drug testing to include detection of opioid painkillers. The survey found that while 87% of employers conduct drug testing, only about 52% test for synthetic opioids. Synthetic opioids The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says that non-medical use of prescription painkillers costs health insurers up to $72.5 billion annually in direct health care costs. And in another report, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's proposed opioid prescribing guideline for chronic pain is a step toward improving patient safety, but Critics say it falls short when addressing long-term users. The recently released voluntary guideline is aimed at primary care providers who prescribe opioids for chronic pain outside of active cancer treatment, palliative care, and end-of-life care. The CDC's proposal attempts to address the epidemic of health care providers, writing millions of prescriptions for opioid pain relievers in 2012. Workers' compensation is not immune, as many industry professionals say opioid abuse is the biggest issue they face. The CDC proposal discusses when to initiate or continue opioids for chronic pain, how to select the drugs, dosage and duration, and how to assess the risks of use, but there is no guidance on weaning and tapering. The guidelines do not appear to be particularly useful for patients already on chronic opioid therapy. More in-depth prescribing guidelines devised by organizations such as the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine and Washington State already are used in workers' comp. But the industry still can benefit from the CDC's guideline, which will help general practitioners gain a level of insight and education that they might have been missing. The number of new drugs approved by the FDA in the United States this year has already topped last year's 18-year high. Yet... Large pharmaceutical companies say they are still struggling to get a decent return on their research dollars. They claim that returns on research and development spending by the world's top drug makers have fallen to 4.2%, or less than half of the 10.1% recorded in 2010. The mismatch between the rising number of drug approvals and falling returns reflects the claim that each new medicine is expected to yield significantly lower average sales, while costs to develop them are continuing to rise. Forecast peak sales per new drug have fallen by almost 50% since 2010, even as the average cost of developing a product has climbed by a third. As a result, life sciences research and development is not currently generating a significant return on investment for many big drug makers, according to some financial analysts. The findings come at a time of increased productivity in terms of the sheer number of new medicines reaching the market. However, many of these new treatments are targeted at niche patient populations and are designed for treating rare diseases or very specific subtypes of cancer, limiting their sales potential. Still, the rapid pace of new drug launches is forecast to continue. 225 new drugs are expected to be approved between 2016 and 2020, with cancer treatments expected to be the largest category. And in other news, the Office of Self-Insurance Plans Chief John Roten is leaving the Department of Industrial Relations for new endeavors and will retire from state service this month. Mr. Roten is responsible for overseeing and regulating the nation's largest self-insurance workers' compensation marketplace. During his tenure, DIR and OSIP implemented processes to manage over $22 billion in total risk exposure, protecting the self insured benefits of 4.6 million covered workers. It also instituted safeguards that monitor self insurers' solvency, compliance, and market conduct, including the actuarially based collateral evaluation and peer review system and successfully reduced application and financial underwriting processes from nine months to less than 21 days by deploying an electronic filing system to simplify annual regulatory reporting processes. Prior to his job at OSIP, Chief Mr. Roten worked in the DIR as the Cal OSHA senior manager and served at the California Department of Business Oversight investigating white-collar financial crimes and scrutinized political campaign finance cases for the California Fair Political Practices Commission. Mr. Roten will join Sedgwick Claims Management Services, Incorporated, as its senior vice president, regulatory compliance and quality after his retirement from state service. That is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skern & Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.